Open your Bibles to two passages, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and Jude, the gospel or the the book of Jude. And we're just going to be in chapter 1 of Jude today. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes and then we're going to go to Jude. Y'all are in for a treat today. Usually you only get one introduction to a sermon. Today you get two. And the first one is for free. I'm not going to charge you anymore. Um, I I have been talking for a long time uh, with Pastor Nathan about a series of messages that I think would be really helpful to Christians on on Bible words, understanding Bible words. Um, But I didn't it never seemed an appropriate time to start and just continue week after week with that subject. So what I'm going to do is over this year and maybe even farther, just periodically sprinkle in one of these messages on the topic of acceptable words, acceptable words. So that's the introduction that we're going to look at first is why do we need to study these things? And we're going to get that from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and look at verse 8. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Now, this is, you have in the life of Solomon, the man that God granted to be the wisest man who had ever lived and who ever will live other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You have three books that he wrote. Um, The Song of Solomon, it's it's his youthful writing of being in love, and it's it's a picture of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the middle of his life, at the height of his wisdom and his strength, he wrote the book of Proverbs. At the end of his life, after he had squandered that wisdom and set his heart to everything that the world had to offer, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. So the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find this this, uh, phrase all through it, under the sun, under the sun. And the problem with the book of Ecclesiastes is the problem with many of us, our focus is under the sun, not over the sun. We're supposed to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth, right? Why? Because thieves break in and steal and and moth and rust decay. But what God has for us isn't going to corrupt at all. Isn't that right? And so I think that the problem probably more for us than, than for any other group of people as Americans is we focus on this earth. Uh, I, I was praying earlier this week. <laughs> we as Americans have to pray that the Lord will help us not to eat too much. It's not give us this day our daily bread, right? It's help me not to eat too much bread. Isn't that interesting? So we as Americans, we, the Western, you know, you can include Europe and all of that. The Western world, we focus way too much on this world. Solomon has given us this entire book of Ecclesiastes where he's identified the vanity, the emptiness, the nothingness of everything that's in the world. And so then he concludes it with this. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. So here's the deal. While he was sinning, he still had that amazing wisdom that God had given him. He made horrible choices while being wise. I think that's probably worse than not knowing at all, isn't it? And so that's why his life was like this. Look at what it says. Verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed 
and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even the words of truth. Then look what the Bible describes. Verse 11. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from the shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished. Of making of books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. And I can say amen right there, I guarantee you. Here, here's the idea. What he said was, while I was living this life under the sun, I still gave the people wisdom and wrote out Proverbs. And now what I'm trying to do at the end of my life is give you something. He, wants to, he wanted to give him acceptable words. The Bible has given us some acceptable words that are, as it says here, goads. What was the goad for? That was to keep the ox from kicking the guy that was driving the ox. Then what are nails for? They just hold things together. So what are these acceptable words supposed to do? They're supposed to keep us from rebelling against God, and they're supposed to hold us together. So I am going to be bringing this series of messages on acceptable words, words like justification, words like uh, uh, faith that we're going to look at today. And so let's look at the first one. We're going to look at faith, at faith. So now let's go to, first, or to the book of Jude. That's the end of introduction number one. Now begins introduction number two. Have you ever noticed people believe some really weird stuff? People believe really weird stuff. Uh, ISIS believes that, uh, that they're going to cleanse the world by cutting off infidels' heads. That's weird, isn't it? That's just weird. People believe weird, weird things. Um, when you look at the book of Jude, Jude, how many of you know, have heard of the book, The Acts of the Apostles? Someone is called Jude the Acts of the Apostates. And so what you see in the book of Acts are people, it's the history of Jesus Christ's disciples as they begin planting churches and carrying out the work of the Lord in that first 30 years of Christianity. Okay? In the book of Jude, you see the history of Old Testament, New Testament, and prophecy of people who have fought against the truth of God. And he begins it by saying this, if you look in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us as we try to understand this concept, this word of, uh, of faith. And Lord, help us to have a biblical understanding of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, keep your place here in Jude. Put your ribbon there or whatever. We're done in Ecclesiastes for today. But uh, keep your place in Jude. But go with me to Proverbs chapter 17. And I really want this to be um, a foundational scripture for you. I want this to be a verse that opens your understanding to the world. I, I want it to be the key that unlocks why people believe what they believe, all right? Verse 24, Proverbs 17, 24. Wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. 
Wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. Uh, Here's another way to say it. If you reject the truth, you'll believe anything. Right? So uh, here's the perfect example. You have to explain the existence of the world, but you can't include God. And so now they've come to the brilliant conclusion that aliens did it. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. You know the Big Bang is done. That physicists are moving away from the Big Bang because it couldn't have happened that way. They're completely moving away from it. So if you kids have a science textbook that has the Big Bang in it, that is obsolete. It's out of date. It's an anachronism. Go ahead and write that down, guys. Anachronism. Tell your teacher this is an anachronism. Okay? Isn't that funny? But what are they doing? Because they have to remove the real explanation. Why is the sun hot? Because the god Zeus is angry. Yeah, people come up with weird explanations for everything, don't they? It's, it's unbelievable, the explanations that people come up with. Um, what we have to understand is what we do is based on what we believe. What we do is based on what we believe. Why is our president negotiating with Iran and rejecting Israel? Why is that happening? It's because of what he believes. He, be, he, he believes that his diplomacy can overwhelm the, the Iranians' desire to destroy Israel. That belief is a little weird. Now, we won World War II. How many of you, now, you young people might not have heard of this, but we actually won World War II. Um, And one of the ways that we did that was one of the greatest, I'm not saying he was a good guy, but one of the most accomplished generals in the history of modern warfare was Erwin Rommel, the Desert Fox. How many of you have heard of Erwin Rommel? All right, well, George Patton defeated him. You know how he defeated him? Rommel, after World War I, had written a book called Infantry Attacks. Infantry Attacks. Now, it was in German. I can't pronounce the German name. Um, and it, was, it had more than 500,000 copies of it printed. And it was his method, what he had done. It was his diary of how he had fought, how he had used his infantry to fight against the other armies. And what he would do is he would rush his armament into the middle of the conflict. Uh, but the way that he would do that was he would have a false attack. And he would have men on foot throwing grenades and shooting rifles, and that would cause the enemy to be frightened. It would cause them to expend ammunition and to expend lives. And while they were focused on that false front, he would come in at their flank or at their rear and attack them. So he wrote this in that book. Patton read the book. And he believed Rommel. He believed him. And so that belief that faith that Erwin Rommel believed what he had written that influenced Patton's uh, attack against him or his ability to fight against him, and so we beat the Desert Fox. The problem with our president is when, in their own constitution, the Iranians say that one of their purposes for existence is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, the president doesn't believe them. And so... He deals with them in a way that defies reality. 
Now, what was the name of Iran before it was Iran? Persia. Persia. And the name of Iran goes back to the 1930s when Hitler and his Nazis wanted to work with these Arabs, the, the Grand Mufti of, of Jerusalem with the Muslim Brotherhood. That's when it all started and all, all, all of that. Well, the Iranians, what they did was, they were the Persians, they changed their name to Iran because that's the Persian spelling of Aryan. Perfect races against the Jews. That's who they are. That's who they are. Our president does not believe that. Okay? What does he believe in? I don't know. Unicorns, butterflies, rainbows. I don't... It's, it's, yes, it's incomprehensible. Uh, let, me, let me make this statement. I don't know that we've ever had a president with, who, with a more poorly informed understanding of history. I don't think he knows history at all. I don't think he knows it at all. And so all of these steps that are made... They defy understanding because we don't know what he believes. Is that fair? Why does he dislike Bibi Netanyahu so much? Those who resist, those who do not want to stand up to evil, resent those who do. Let me say that again. Those who do not want to stand up to evil, resent those who do. The European leaders, they don't like Netanyahu. What they don't understand is he has a group of people that are as close as Piqua who want to destroy them. They don't have any room for margin. Someone calls it our, um, we have ocean bias. We are able to make statements and, and make pronouncements about Israel because we have the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean between us and any of our enemies. Right? And so it's very important that what you believe influences what you do. It's vital that we get that. And then people's opinions are based on what they think, and those, those opinions are not based on the Bible or any other outside authority. They're based on either their emotions or their worldview or their philosophy. All right? What we do is based on what we believe. And here's the thing. Remember what Proverbs 17.24 is teaching. If, if you say, I reject the truth, then anything is possible. Anything. Then you'll just believe anything. And the weirdest, craziest, most unbelievable explanations come through. Right? Like we came from monkeys. That's weird. It's crazy. The front row notwithstanding. We did not come from monkeys. All right? Maybe going back to them. We're not sure. But, okay, now... So let's, let's dive into this. Let's try to get a biblical understanding of what faith is. Faith, number one, faith is based on the faith. Faith is based on the faith. Let's go back to Jude. Let's start reading in verse 1. Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, that word servant there, we need to understand what that is. That's, that's a slave, but it's, a, it's a, a willing slave. It's a willing slave, a servant. He, he was a, a slave that was there by his own choice. 
All right? Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So Jude and James, brothers, and they are the brothers of Jesus Christ. Um, Keep your place here. Go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Jesus had four brothers that are listed in the Scriptures. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles provided for you. Just look in the rack underneath the chair in front of you. There's a Bible there. And uh, we just had a a family in the church buy us all new Bibles for the auditorium. Isn't that a blessing? And so everybody should be able to have access to a Bible. Um, Look at verse 3, Mark 6 and verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, and of Judah, and Simon? So... Jesus had four brothers that, uh, on earth, and they were listed here, James, Judah, or Jude, uh, Joseph, and Simon, all right? Now, the, the sad thing is, is that none of his brothers believed in him while he was living. They didn't follow him until after his resurrection. Isn't that sad? The other thing that's interesting is that Jude does not identify himself as Jesus Christ's brother. Why? Because I believe, number one, the Holy Spirit didn't have him write that, Number two, I don't believe that he felt like he could claim that. It's very interesting. He calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. To them that are sanctified by God the Father. We're back in Jude, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Now notice it's the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. One of the problems with this discussion of faith is that many people believe that faith is a belief. Right? I'm a person of faith. I believe. What do you believe in? I believe in purple polka dotted hippopotami. (laughs) You know, Minister Farrakhan, he believes that there's this mothership somewhere that we're all going to be beamed up to. I think he's been to that mothership one time too many. I'm not sure. (laughs) Right? People have beliefs, and and it's faith. And what the world does is the world has established this dichotomy of faith versus science that we've talked about recently. Right? You you either either have faith or, or science. That's not true. So we, we've got to get an understanding of what faith is. If we're going to understand acceptable words and how faith is supposed to work in our life, we have to get a biblical understanding of what faith is. So the first thing is that faith is based on the faith. Faith, what I believe in, what I trust in, is based on the faith which was once delivered to the saints. That's that body of doctrine that is revealed in the Scriptures. All right? And it's very important that we get this, that it was once, look at verse 3 again at the end of the verse, that we earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto who? Right? St. Augustine, St. Bartholomew, St. Valentine, St. Massacre. No. What's this talking about? Believers. Believers. It's the faith. So it's the body of doctrine that was given to believers that we are to rest in, that we are to believe in, that we are to guide our lives by. 
So let's get a biblical understanding of what faith is. And of course, what, what passage do we have to go to first? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1. 1. I know you all are afraid to answer my questions because I always do something different than what you're thinking. You just laugh at me because I'm different. All right. Hebrews 11, verse 1. And now, now this shoots down the idea that faith is whatever I want it to be. Right? Now, faith is the what? Substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Faith is substance and faith is evidence. Faith is substance and faith is evidence. Where are we going to get this substance and this evidence? Where does that come from? Go to Romans chapter 10. And look at verse 17. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So what is faith? Faith is hearing and believing the Word of God. That's what faith is. Faith is hearing and believing the Word of God. Let's reinforce that a little bit. Go to 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 2, and look at verse 13. Faith is hearing and believing the Word of God. All right? So First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the Word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that what? Believe. So what is faith? Faith is hearing and believing the Word of God. And what happens then? Faith becomes active. Faith becomes active. Faith accomplishes something. Faith does something. People believe in all kinds of weird stuff. Right? I believe the Virgin Mary is going to help me at this particular moment. I believe that if I put this statue of St. Francis on my on the dash of my car. He's the, the patron saint of travelers, and I'm going to be safer if I have this, this statue on my dash or this pendant around my neck. How many of you have heard someone say that? Right? They have faith in that. They believe in that. All right? Now, where would you find faith in St. Francis in the words of the Bible? Where would you find that? What verse would you go to for that? So what is that? That is faith in something that is not based on the Word of God. So, it is faith, but it's not biblical faith. It's faith, but it's not biblical faith. So let me ask you this. Is, first of all, number one, do you have faith? Number two, is your faith biblical faith? Do you have faith that the next Republican is going to fix the United States of America? Okay? If you do, then I have those purple polka-dotted hopopotami for you, right? Republicans are not going to fix the United States of America. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. And so it's very important that we get this. What are you believing in? What could fix the United States of America? Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ could if people would believe it. 
right? So we ought, to give our, we ought to give more time to the gospel than we would to Republican politics. Very important that we get this. Very important. I know some of you are very confused. You were just talking about you don't know what Obama believes. Now you're saying the Republicans aren't going to do it. Who do you believe in? Purple, polka dot, hippopotami. There's no fixing the United States of America. The only thing that will fix it would be if they would receive and believe the believe and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ as presented in the Word of God. How close are we to that right now? Are we getting closer to it or farther away from it? It's very important that we understand this. So what are we supposed to do? Now we start to understand the significance of faith. Faith is not faith in a man. I hope your faith is not in me because I promise you I will disappoint you. Your faith needs to be in the Lord Jesus Christ as presented in the words of Scripture. So, first of all, faith is based on the faith. It's firm. It has substance and evidence. It is hearing God's Word and it's believing God's Word. But the next thing that I want you to see is that faith is under attack. Really important that you get this. Now, don't forget that we're talking about the faith or or faith, what I believe is based on the faith. Let's make this real for a minute before I go to to the attack. What happens when you get cancer? What happens when your child gets cancer? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when you have an emotional issue? What happens when you're in the accident? You see, what you believe before you go into that determines how you come through it. Very important. It's very important. Um, When... You have established a faith that is based on the faith, then you know that if you get cancer, that's the result of the fall. That there is sin in every cell of your body. And the only way you're going to be delivered from that is the return of Jesus Christ. Is that right? So when cancer comes into my life, and Lord, please help me not to get cancer, I don't want cancer. I don't want it. Can all the people say, Amen? Amen. I don't want it. But if it comes into my life, if I get cancer, that's not because God hates me. All right? And I'll explain that in a minute. But what am I doing? I want you to understand that when I wrote the Why Baptist book, I took it to a preacher friend, and he looked at it, and he said, I've got two families in my church that are getting divorced right now. How is this going to help them? And kind of threw it over to the side. Interesting, isn't it? And the thought that I had later, and it it wouldn't have been good for me to say, but how is not teaching right doctrine going to help them? It's interesting. The answer that I gave him was, well, the church, the understanding that we have of the church is the home. And a person can't understand how their home is supposed to work if they don't understand how the church is supposed to work. Because according to the book of Ephesians, you can't tell the difference between the home and the church in the teaching. And so what happens is the doctrine of the church is the frame that I hang my marriage on. And when I have trouble, there's a firm substance and evidential basis for the relationship that I have with my bride. And it's that of Christ and the church. That's the foundation So my problem, I find the answer to my problem in the faith, the doctrine of the church. How do I know that? Because that's what the Bible tells me to do. And so 
if, if I'm going to have faith in the world, it has to be based on a rock-solid foundation of the Word of God. Amen? And so that's, that's, the, that's where this is coming from. But let's look at how the faith is being attacked. Go with me to uh, Luke chapter 18. When you get to Luke 18, look up here at me. How many of you have had your faith attacked in some way in the last week? Would you raise your hand? Can I hold them up? I want everybody to look around. You had your faith attacked in some way. Okay? This, this is so interesting. I want you to see what the Bible says about that. Because we really, we can't get to the place where we start singing, Nobody knows the trouble I see. Oh, God, of all your choice servants in the world, how does this happen to me? I've done so much for you. I'm your favorite. <laughs> what was the, uh, Lydia talks about the Little House on the Prairie, Nellie Olson. She wrote that, that essay, Why Jesus Loves Me More Than Most. <laughs> so... And I think all of us can have a pity party every once in a while, right? And I don't know that, that that's just the human condition. We're all going to be there. But what's, what, what's going to help us, after the pity party's over, when we get to where we start trying to, to, to reason out and understand what's going on, you may never understand why it happened particularly. Okay, you have a child die. The Bible doesn't tell you why your child died, other than that... that Sin, that death is the result of sin, not that that child sinned or that you sinned, that sin is in the world, right? That's the ultimate answer, but individually, you may never have the answer. Your faith has to give you the strength to make it through that and have victory after that and, and be uh, an overcomer and, and be better through it and understand that it's all going to work together for the good. Your faith, which is based on the faith, is going to enable you to do that. Now go to Luke 18 and look at verse, I'm sorry, Luke 8. No, Luke 18. Somebody's been writing in the margin of their Bible and it's scratch, scratch. <laughs> okay, Luke 18, 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Shall he find faith on the earth? In the book of Revelation, it says he has a name. When Jesus Christ returns, he has a name that no man knoweth. Then a little bit later, it says his name is the, Son, his name is the Word of God. It is interesting how knowledge of the Scriptures is diminishing and diminishing and diminishing and diminishing. Several years ago, I used this illustration, and, and I think that it's, a, it's valid. During the Battle of Dunkirk... Now, how many of you young people have never heard of the Battle of Dunkirk? Would you raise your hand? You don't know what it is. Okay. The Battle of Dunkirk was in World War II. Uh, the Allied forces had been backed up by the German forces all the way to a city called Dunkirk. And they were going to be wiped out. And so this radio announcement announced, it said that our forces have been backed up and uh, we, we pray that the Lord will 
help them. And then it ended with this, but if not, but if not. And you want to know something? Everybody in England understood where that came from. In the book of Daniel, the three Hebrew children were getting ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace, and they said, our God will deliver us, our Lord will deliver us. But if not, we will not bow. But if not. That, the message was, but if not. And so boats from all over came and evacuated the troops off of the, the beaches there at Dunkirk. It's an amazing story. Now, I wonder what would happen in the world today if that same message was sent out. But if not, what is that talking about? What is that talking about? When you use biblical illustrations in the culture, people don't have any idea. So if I said, it's possible that Benjamin Netanyahu was put in Israel for a time such as this, what do you think of? Esther. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you didn't think of anything. But this is a, this is a serious issue. People in Christianity, the world, the, the, the broader world knows nothing about the Bible. They, they know three verses, judge not that you be not judged. Right? God is love. And Jesus turned the water to wine. Those are the only verses that the world knows. But if you ask them to show you where in the Bible they came from, they don't have any idea. They, 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 there's no understanding of the Bible now, let's move into Christian churches. When you, I, I go online and I watch these churches, these, these mega churches, and I watch the sermon, and they have this 45-minute concert and light shows, and the preacher comes out riding a motorcycle or swinging on a Tarzan rope or whatever, <laughs> and then gives, then gives a, a speech, and he's really cool. He's got this cool clothes on, and he's, he's awesome. got the cool glasses and a tattoo to show that he has a past. Remember that? And then you hear the message, there's no Scripture. None. You read a book and the guy will quote, Rick Warren will quote 27 different versions of the Bible in one book. And people don't, the, the actual words of the Bible, no one knows. That's the attack. Look at Luke 18.8 again. Middle of the verse. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? What does it look like? How does that work itself out? Go to Second Thessalonians. <clears throat> Some of you are going through trouble, very, very serious trouble right now. This message will help you. You've got to be grounded and firm when those winds blow so that you're not blown away. And that's the, that's the scriptural illustration of it in Ephesians 4, that you be no more tossed about by every wind of doctrine and cunning, craft, cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and the, that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. All right? And, and what is he going to do? Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing 
himself that he is God. So what's going to happen? Uh, Satan is establishing a world system that completely destroys the Word of God. So you don't know what to have faith in. You don't know what to have faith in. And here's what they say. You go to a passage of Scripture to say, why do you believe that such and such is wrong? You go to the Bible. And, well, that's just your interpretation. Right? And then you can find 15 different interpretations on it. Why? That is Satan undermining the authority of the Word of God. See, my faith isn't based on what somebody thinks about the Bible. My faith is based on the Bible. As it is written, and we allow it to stand for itself. Go to 1 Timothy 4.1. <clears throat> About a page over, probably. Or two. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaketh subtly, uh, in dark sayings. What's it say? Expressly. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from... What? The faith. They don't stop believing. Right? They don't. We're going to see that. They don't stop believing. They depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You've got to be pretty brazen to kill babies. You know, there are preachers who teach that that's okay. There was a Southern Baptist preacher that uh, Bill Clinton appealed to when he changed from pro-life to pro-death. He said, the, his pastor said, the Bible doesn't say anything about abortion. There, let me help you. Thou shalt not kill. I know that's an obscure verse that maybe people don't understand, right? So, is there anything more devilish than that? Anything more devilish than boiling a child to death in saline solution or chopping him up inside his mother's womb or partially delivering him and stabbing him in the back of the neck? Is there anything more uh, devilish than that? Right? And these, these same people come out and say they're doing everything for the children. Yeah, the ones that made it past you. Okay. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, Forbidding to marry. I find it interesting that we have a culture in, in Western, the Western culture that is, they are moving to forbid a biblical understanding of marriage. Right? If you own a cake shop and you don't want to make a cake for a gay marriage, then you've got to, you've got to be sued. Right? It's... They're forbidding that. And, of course, there's been a religious system for years that has forbidden their priests to marry. And the Bible calls that a doctrine of devils. That's what the Bible calls that. Um, now, let me step back for a minute. If you're here and that offends you, take it up with Paul. Okay? Um, amen? Grace Baptist? Amen. 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 I don't, I don't want to offend anyone, but man, if you're in a system that forbids your priest to marry, the Bible calls it a doctrine of devils. All right? Now, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Hmm. Hmm. 
What season are we in? Lent. I've given up Lent for Lent. Isn't this interesting? Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Cut into that steak and thank God for it. Eat your squirrel. Whatever it is you want to eat, eat it. All right? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. What's going to happen? The Bible says that there's going to come a time when the culture is so messed up, they're going to deny what God said you should eat. They're going to deny who God said you should marry. They're going to have a... That's a, that's a listen, that's a doctrine. That's what these people believe. That's what they stand on. That's what they earnestly contend for. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. It's being attacked. Look at 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, what is doctrine? Doctrine is God's truth in God's words. God's truth in God's words. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So what are we supposed to do? Don't believe those fables. Believe the truth of the Word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, John seventeen seventeen. It's the foundation for everything that we believe. It's the faith. It's the faith. Now, go to Second uh, Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Now, now look at that. There were false prophets among the people, that's people of Israel, and there shall be false teachers among you. So what's going on in Christianity today? Are there false teachers? I mean, there's all kinds of false teachers. All kinds of them. We can start listing them. Rod Bell, um, John Piper, um, Joel Osteen, uh, his wife, Joyce Meyer, Paula White, the Pope. All kinds of false teachers. There's all kinds of false teachers. Now, let me be very, be very careful here. We love anyone. We love anyone and everyone. The Bible tells us to. If someone is under Joyce Meyer's teaching, I want them to come under the teaching of the Word of God. We don't hate those people. I don't like Joyce Meyer. She's teaching a false gospel, right? And she's holding an office that's illegitimate, right? Uh, if, if someone is following the Pope, I, listen, my mother was a Roman Catholic. We love Roman Catholics, but that teaching, it violates the Scripture in so many places. We've just, we've just identified several. It just violates the Scriptures. And I know that that becomes very personal to people. I don't like it when people say bad things about Baptists. But you know what I acknowledge? Baptists have earned a lot of it. You know that Westboro Baptist Church from 
Wichita, Kansas, or whatever it is, that holds up the signs God hates at the funerals of our servicemen. I don't like those people. I don't like those people at all. They do not represent us, do they? And yet, I still don't like it. And it's so sad that often those are the people that are represented as Baptists, right? But So I don't like it when Baptists are talked about. But if a Baptist is teaching something that is wrong, like at the Westboro Baptist Church, you know what I say? That's wrong. Now, if you happen to be a Roman Catholic, and I'm pointing out to you very clearly that your church is teaching something that is blatantly unscriptural, what you need to say is, that is wrong. I will submit to the Scriptures. I will submit to the Scriptures. That's difficult to do when you've been trained to listen to a person all your life rather than listen to the Scriptures. What's the problem? You've been moved away from the faith for another faith. Very important that we get this, okay? So, we're in 2 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. If you will send me $200, I will send you this prayer cloth that I have prayed over and wept over. And if you have a bad knee, you can put it on that knee and God will heal you. If you will send me $50, then you can put your hand on the television and you'll feel the power of the Holy Spirit come through that television and heal your body. What are they doing? They're making merchandise of you. Making merchandise of you. If you'll sow a little seed faith, well, if that was the case, why wouldn't that guy take all his money and sow it? Right? What are they doing? They're, they're liars. They're making merch, merchandise of you who through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not okay so baptist preacher jim alter stands up and says that what this guy is teaching is damnable heresy this church is just it's just full of hate no no i love you i want you to be grounded in the faith. But there's lots of people that want to move you away from the faith and make merchandise of you and charge you to say a mass after your mom dies to see that she can get into heaven because she's... You don't, you don't want your mom to suffer, do you? You don't want her to suffer. Here, pay me and I'll, 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 I'll say prayers for her. They're making merchandise of your mother. Year after year after year, day after day after day, over and over and over again. This is why we need the faith. The faith once delivered to the saints. Now, go back to... Let's, let's just finish this up. Go back to Jude. And I want you to see how this works. Where does your faith come from? And in these three verses, God really does give us a clear understanding of the faith and what it does. Look at verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are, first of all, sanctified by God the Father. Do you know what happens? Do you know how your faith is strengthened? 
when you're sanctified. What is sanctification? It's where God the Holy Spirit takes you and through the Word of God and your, your uh, time in the Word of God, your service for Him, your interaction with other believers, God takes you from the sinner that you were when you were saved and begins the process of making you more and more like Christ. When, when God is changing you, then it's easier to believe. Your faith is stronger when God is moving you from your sin to righteousness. Your faith is stronger. Then look at what it says. Middle of the verse, verse 1, By God the Father, so you're sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Preserved in Jesus Christ. So what does your faith do? How does this build your faith? You're sanctified. You're becoming more and more like Christ. But you know what happens? When you are becoming more and more like Christ, the closer you get to Christ, the more sin you see in your own life. Right? Have you ever said this in your own, in your own self? Lord, I can't believe I did that. If I'm saved, why would I think that way? And so your faith starts to wane. I, I, I must not be saved. I must not. No, you're preserved in Jesus Christ. If you're in Jesus, you can't get out. He has preserved you. What does preserve mean? To keep from spoiling. Right? So you are preserved. So what's going to help your faith? That sanctification, you're moving away from sin. The Holy Spirit's doing that for you. And then you recognize, boy, you're going to come to the place where, thank God that I don't have to keep my salvation because there's no possible way I can. Thank you for preserving me. And your faith is stronger. Then look at what it says. So sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Your faith is stronger when you realize you are saved for something. God has called you to be righteous. He's called you to be a servant. He's called you to be a minister. He's called you to be faithful. He's called you to be holy. He's called you to represent Him in the world. He's called you. You have a purpose. You are needed. Do you know what happens then? Wow. God wants me. He's called me. What happens? You grow in the faith. You grow in the faith. Then, look what the Bible says. Mercy. Verse 2. Mercy unto you. Mercy. Do you know what you really need to have faith? Because look at what's happened. You've been saved. You're being sanctified. You start to recognize your preservation, that you're, that you're in Christ. You're not going to lose your salvation. You realize that you're called. You have a job to do. That's awesome. It, it is so wonderful. But I'll tell you what, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you recognize that you need mercy. It's hard to be filled up with yourself when you recognize the holiness of Jesus Christ. We need mercy. Then look at what it says. Mercy unto you and peace. And peace. The Bible talks about that peace which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Is that what the Bible says, Philippians chapter 4? What happens is you're, you're coming along and all of a sudden you get to the place where, where you're in a situation that in the past you would have been in turmoil and now you're in peace and you start to realize, God, you're working in my life. Your reactions are different than the way they used to be. Build your faith. It builds your faith. Then look what the Bible says. Mercy, we're in verse 2 again, mercy unto you and peace and love. And love. Then look at what it says, be multiplied. 
The Bible says we love because we are first loved. All of a sudden, you're able to love people more than you were. All of a sudden, you're able to love people in the right way. You love your children enough to discipline them. You love, you love them enough to teach them the truth. You love them enough to say no. You are loved by Christ enough to have the confidence to take a stand for Him. Isn't that awesome? See, here's what happens. All of these things are evidence of what, of what God does in your life to establish you in the faith and what happens in your life when you are established in the faith. Uh, there's more to say there, but look at verse 3. Beloved. You see what happens? You're beloved. When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. The common salvation. Here's what helps your faith. You ready? It's so important. People are only saved one way. That's it. Common salvation. We are all saved the exact same way. If someone comes to you and they have a, a, a minister or a priest or a rabbi or whatever they have in Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, when someone comes along and says, yes, it's Jesus, but he's not really God. That's not the common salvation. If someone tells you, well, it's Jesus, but you also have to be baptized, you also have to be in the church, you also have to... That's, that's not the common salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is based in Jesus Christ alone. Do you know what happens? When you realize that, then all of a sudden, if there's any faith that is not based on the faith, Outside of the common salvation, I know I need to stand against it. Right? Those people need to be saved. Then look at what it says. Beloved, verse 3 again, When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Do you know what happens when you get grounded in the faith? You realize it must be fought for. You have to fight for it. Uh, the Bible makes it very clear that we need to fight for that faith. Uh, the, the faith once delivered to the saints, we are to contend. The Bible says in, uh, let me look at it real quick, First Timothy 6. Verse 12, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Do you see that? Faith has to be contended for. We've got to fight for it. When's the last time you defended the faith? Not your faith. This is why I believe. No, the faith. When's the last time that you fought for the faith? Now, I'm not saying we take up arms and we go and kill people who disagree with us. That's what the Muslims do, right? That's not what we do. No, no, no. We fight for it by standing for the truth and by being willing to defend the faith. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give a reason of the hope that's in you in meekness and in fear. Then Jude 3 again. Look at what it says. Middle of the verse. And exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Which was once delivered unto the saints. Here's your problem. All right? Here's what you're going to run into. First of all, the reason that your family doesn't understand what you're doing as to the faith is because they don't know it. They don't know Bible doctrine. They've never been taught it. 
you, you bump up against it, you fight against it, you, you struggle with your family over and over again with your friends. And, but the problem is they don't know it. They don't know the faith. You need to. Right? But recognize that they don't know it. Secondly, those who do know it don't understand it. They know a few things about the Bible, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the carnal mind, the person that's not saved, they can't understand the things of God. Now, it also says neither can they know them. All right? So this is what you're up against. The faith, they don't understand it. Why? Because it was delivered to the saints. And then lastly, the Bible says that the world, those that love the world, they are at enmity with God, James 4, 4. So those of your family who know things from the Bible that you've taught them, they hate it. They hate it. How many of you have ever had someone say, don't talk to me about the Bible anymore? Have you ever had someone in your family say that? Why? Because they are looking at the truth. They know that the truth goes against what they are doing, and they hate it. They're at enmity with it, the Bible says in James. They are at war with it. They're fighting against it. So, Nick, they're not fighting against you. They're fighting against the truth. You are not contending with them. You're contending for the truth. So what do we learn from that? Be careful when you're talking to your family about these things that you understand. You're not contending with them. You're contending for the truth. What does that do? That keeps you from making a personal attack against that person. It changes the way that you approach them. It changes the way that you stand for the truth. It's very difficult to tell people the truth. The truth is offensive. Right? Jesus Christ said that. Doctrine always divides. He said, I didn't come to bring you together. I came to divide mother and father and children and sister and brother. I'm going to break it apart because one brother will believe in me. One brother will reject me. Can two walk together except they be agreed? No. No. And then the problem comes in. What fellowship hath light with darkness? What communion hath the temple of God with Belial? Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. When you're contending for the truth, when you're contending for the faith, now I get to where I understand. I have to have faith that based on the word of God, I am doing the right thing in the right spirit, with the right motives, based on the authority of the word of God. And then, like Exodus 14, 14 says, be still. Let the Lord fight for you. Amen? What are we contending? We're, we're fighting the good fight of faith. We're contending for the faith. Why? Because we have been sanctified. We have been preserved. We have been called. We have mercy and peace and love. We have the common salvation. We have all of that, and we're fighting for it. We're contending for it. What's the acceptable word? It's faith. We do what we do because we believe what we believe. What do you believe? Are your beliefs based on popular opinion? Or are your beliefs based on the faith? Faith must be based on the faith. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word.